You're listening to the Who's Driving Your Car podcast, episode 27. Hello and welcome to the Who's Driving Your Car podcast, where we discuss not only who or what might be driving your life, but also the great views and experiences along the way. Do you drive in the fast lane like my wife, or do you feel like you're stuck in first gear? You only get one life to live, and it can be either a total wreck or a beautiful cruise into the sunset. We are three friends that have collectively experienced almost anything that could possibly happen in this crazy world, and we'll be discussing our personal reflections and experiences so hopefully you can avoid running out of gas and truly enjoy the wind blowing in your hair. So hop on in with us for a little road trip called life, and let's discuss who's driving your car. Aye! Welcome back to Who's Driving Your Car, episode 27. 27! <laughs> Welcome back, guys. Um, on today's episode, we have a special guest with us here, Diana Vallette. And she is going to be sharing some of her personal story with us, um, which we find very inspiring, motivating, captivating in a lot of ways, especially her faith journey. And um, we'll probably call this How Lunch Changed One's Life. And so, before we hop into it, we'll throw it over to Diana. And Diana, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So, my name is Diana Vallette. I have five kids. I uh, am married to a very good-looking gentleman named Marvin Vallette. Um, and I converted. He's so good-looking. <laughs> um, and I converted from atheism, although I didn't call it that at the time, but that's exactly what it was about six years ago. Wow. Pretty incredible. And five children. That's got to keep you hopping, huh? A lot. It feels like 73. (laughs) It truly does. Well, I want to give a shout out to uh, Jackie Bork. Uh, Jackie was the one that suggested that uh, we get Diana on. She had read her posts uh, and really enjoyed what she was putting out there. So just want to give a shout out to Jackie. Appreciate it uh, for pointing out her work. Yeah, Jackie, I, I want to second that. I don't know you personally, but I've heard a lot uh, from you from John. Um, and I, we are very thankful for um, you being a, a very helpful person here, spreading the word with the podcast. Okay, let's hop into the weekly segment of Would You Rather, dun, dun, dun. And so what we do, we're rotating a while around. This week happens to be my turn. So we throw out the Would You Rather. Nobody knows at the table but myself. You're going to get the first opportunity. Um... So here we are, and it is, would you rather be a kid your whole life or be an adult your whole life? Oh, snappity snap. Oh, snap. She's got fly language. Your whole life, as in you've never, like if you're an adult your whole life, you've never had an opportunity to be a kid. Like you're only, you're grown, you're a born adult. You're a Benjamin Button, but you don't go in reverse. Right. Okay. (laughs) Has anybody seen that movie? Yes, everybody. Um, nope, Greg. Sorry, guys. They never. You've seen never movies. seen Benjamin. Okay. Greg and I With seen Brad a lot of Pitt. Movies. There's okay. lots of movies we're behind on. We're gonna work on that. Oh man. Okay. I think I'm gonna go with. Um... Here's the thing. When you're a kid, you just spend your whole childhood wanting to be an adult. So you don't know that when you become an adult, it's actually not that fun. So if I was a kid my whole life, I'd be like, well, this sucks. I want to be an adult. So I guess I'm going to go with I would rather be an adult because then I would know I've done... Well, I wouldn't. Dang it. I'm going to go with adult either way. Going to stick with adult. Yeah, okay. stick with adult. Greg? Now, I feel your pain, Dan. The struggle is real with these. 
And I'm somewhat indecisive, so I have a hard time pinning him down. Thank you for going first and giving me time to reflect on this. I'm going to go with, for the same reason, you know, as a, as a kid, you know, it's all an adventure and fairy tale. And, but like you said, you don't know. You're always wanting to be an adult. So I, I'm also going to go with an adult mainly because you'll have more resources and opportunities to, uh, hopefully an adult that's not at a point where you can't, you know, are you an aging adult or you just stay at that one age? Your are whole, you 30 or are 70? Are you 30 or are you 85? Because <laughs> that limits my ability to travel and do things. I will give a, a flip out to this to Courtney because I was doing this this morning, my paralegal, and um, she was like, there's going to be so many off questions from this. <laughs> <laughs> and you were like, no, it'll be fine. And I was like, let's just see because we do have a habit of that. I, I don't know. I would think it as, as you are sitting here today, if you could go back to being a child and be stuck in that place mm. versus be where you are as an adult today and be stuck in that mm. place, yeah. which would you prefer? I guess I might go with an adult. And for those that have maybe heard my past story, you know, a lot of those struggles as a child are what made me an adult. And if I stayed there, I'd be stuck there. Mm. So I am where I am because of it. And this is the happy place. So that's where I'm going to camp. How about you, Steve? Come on, inner child. He's, he's looking in. He's, he's well, about it. you know, y'all, y'all had made some good points. Um, and I, ra- as soon as you said it, I was thinking, no doubt, I'm going to be the kid forever. Um, but then, you know, y'all brought up some good points. Um, you know, would I be able to travel? Would I be able to do things that I enjoy doing now? Uh, or would I be in my childhood when there were 11 of us in? We didn't really go anywhere. We lived out in the country. We had a great time doing that. It was a wonderful childhood. Uh, but I don't know that I would like to do that forever. <laughs> I've like been able to get out and do things on my own as an adult. So I think I'd probably have to go with the adult initially. I would have gone with the kids. So I thought you would have. Y'all changed my mind while this was going on. And it also depends. Not to. I mean, Courtney was smart because like, are you a three-year-old kid? Are you twelve? It matters. It does. Are you awkward in twelve? That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think it's a tough one for myself personally because, and I am saying as you are today, but I feel like. We never really lose our inner child, so you could argue maybe we're still a kid as we sit here. And that was kind of what I was thinking about. Well, y'all make fun of me enough in saying that uh, I have too much inner child in me, uh, so I, I'm, living it through, that, John. I'm living it through my adulthood also. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think if I was stuck with that, I would go adult just purely because we have freedom. Yeah. I feel like the older I've gotten, the more I've realized we have a lot of free choice, free ability to do what we want when I was a child. I never really got that because I think between school, playing ball, law school, I've gotten older. I'm like, man, you just do whatever the hell you want. It's pretty fly. <laughs> pretty fly. For a white guy. Mm-hmm. Hey, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got something that I want to bring up before we uh, dive into the topic. And as soon as I saw this uh, post on, I think it was on your Instagram page, I knew this was going to be the perfect Duo right here. I want to see how this goes once I throw this out. Um, This is something that you posted. I think it was on Instagram, like I said. um, And here's the here's the quote. Um, There's an entire Instagram post. There is an entire Instagram post devoted to positivity, and light, love, happiness, and glasses that are not only half full, they are overflowing. I am here to provide you with a safe place for our glass to be empty as hell. And while you're the subject, while we're, while we're on the subject, the glass is small. The, don't don't the, you think? The, yeah, Sorry. the glass is kind of small, don't you think? Okay. 
So I don't know if you've heard any of hot dog stuff so far. No, why he's are you a, there? Because he's a half a half of a glass full kind of guy. Oh, not a half a glass full, okay. a half you're of a glass even, full. See, you're taking as a... me. I call it. I don't even understand. The glass, is, the glass is half full is uh-huh. what I think the normal, right, everyday everyone else. nomenclature is here. Right, I say half a glass full. Half a glass full. So they have proceeded to buy me a glass. Mm-hmm. It's made in half. I, it's just my uh. language abilities that are picked on quite a lot in this this uh, podcast. Even though they're starting to adopt some of my flyaways, but um, <laughs> that's why John is bringing that up. But I am I am a half a glass full person. Got it. To the yeah. degree. I'm not. You're not a half glass full. You're I'm not. I just feel like I don't know. I think whenever people complain or they talk about like the bad parts of life, like I feel like that's always more gives other people more permission to just be honest. Like if, if I was here and being like, it's a be I mean, which it is, it's a beautiful day and it's a great life, whatever. And I think it's great to talk about those things, but whenever you're honest about the things that you struggle in or the things that are hard or how small the glass is, I feel like that's more inviting to people. I would agree. Mm. But. But. Oh, what is stopping. Right. I'm just going to come out and say, see, I'm a believer in we all have our crosses to bear in life. Right. We all do go through some. Um, I think that's the part of life. If you didn't struggle in life and you didn't have hard times, there would be no purpose in the true eternal happiness that is full of for the rest of our lives happy. Mm-hmm. In my little head, that's how I conceive it. And so I embrace these situations that are difficult and I look at them with a half a glass full. So I still like to go deep with them, Mm -hmm. but I'm more like embracing it. So when something bad happens in my life, not that I'm a fan of it, by all means, you can ask these two sitting here. Mm -hmm. But when I, I I find it as like a positive, I'm going to embrace this. I'm glad it's happening because if it's part of whatever my purpose is to be on this earth, all of our purpose, anybody I know or something difficult happens yeah it just is their cross it could be someone having a miscarriage someone losing somebody in their life someone losing a job there's a lot of rough things that happen but if you look at it half a glass full Mm -hmm. you get to see the positive side of it right dan are you also kind of implying that some people fail to maybe take ownership or accept or want to address those negative things so maybe they're putting on this sort of like life is good not like what matt's referring to but because we are honest with our feelings and approaching it with a positive mindset of what can we learn from this negative thing in my life as opposed to just ignoring those things and letting them build up and not being open and talking about them openly. And Yeah. You know. I guess my point of view is more um, I'm a big proponent for like sharing mm-hmm. negativity, which sounds crazy because it sounds like, I mean, it sounds bad. But I think that that's where, commu- where that's where true community is built. Like, I'm not saying that having a cross is bad. Obviously, Jesus did it. It was good. It worked out for the best. But um, I think whenever you look at your crosses with other people, it helps for them to recognize that there's that it's normal to have a cross, that um, they're not alone, they're not doing life wrong because things are hard. And so I just like talking about. I bad concur stuff. with that thought process. Is there a but after that one? Or no, you know, I don't just have one. and period. I think, I think it's just interesting that we're seeing this as um, one of us has seen as half the glass is full, yeah. and the other one's not. Right. It's empty. Half glass empty. I think half not. Not glass. only is the glass empty, it's kind of small. 
Like that's what's like, let's just talk about it. It's okay. It's, I'm not saying that we should get bigger glasses. I'm just saying the glass is kind of small. We can talk about it. Yeah, word. Maybe as we talk about it, we pour water into the glass. Perhaps. And it gets a little fuller. And it fuller. gets bigger and bigger. Yes. <laughs> yes, perfectly. Or maybe in this, your case, it might have a hole in it and seeps the water out. Right, either way. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, man, this is great. See, you never know where these things can go. This was informative. I'm glad <laughs> you, you, you rolled that, John. Yeah. <laughs> All right, look. Um, well, actually, I think that was really informative. I'm kind of glad we went down that road, to be dead honest with you. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm out. Uh-huh. Um, look, today, Diana, one of the things that I found very um, neat is the journey you've taken in your faith life. Um, John and I have talked about it a little bit prior to us talking to you, and I think it's really neat that you are open to sharing your journey. And so we're going to kind of flip it over to you. I know it's open-ended maybe to share a little bit about how you have um, that path is opened up for you. That road you've gone down is a different road than you probably thought you would have been on um, prior to this infamous wanting to go to lunch situation. Um, so <laughs> can you uh, enlighten the listeners with a little bit of uh, that information? Yeah, so um, just a little bit of background about who I was as a kid. Um, my dad was born in Cuba and my mom was born in Puerto Rico and they met in medical school in the Dominican Republic um, and then they moved to Uh, New Jersey where my dad did residency in New York Um, and then uh, we lived there for a little bit and then we moved to Ville Platte when my dad my dad is an OBGYN he got a job in Ville Platte Ville Platte that's right Um, so I've lived in Ville Platte since I was like in third grade Um, and Ville Platte is a very Ville Platte's here in Louisiana and it's a very small uh, town and it's a very Catholic town And we were what I like to call, I guess, culturally Catholic in that our family is Catholic. Uh, Everybody baptizes their babies and, but nobody really, we didn't go to church at all. We didn't pray together. Um, I went to a Catholic school because my parents thought the education at the Catholic school was superior to the other school, not for religious reasons at all. Um, And my parents were kind of, they're kind of like rebels. Um, So um, as I think a very telling example is that um, in eighth grade, the teacher at the school uh, approached me. She was like, hey, we're going to start this abstinence club at school. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And she wanted me to help her, like, be the president of the abstinence club. And I was so excited. And, like, I went home and told my parents. And my dad was like, I mean, why? Like, sex is good. Like, you should be able to do that whenever you want, however, like, very different. When you think of conservative, my parents are not conservative. They're great people, but... um. There was, they were kind of like rebels. Everything that was going on in this town and everything that was religion, they wanted to push me to think differently. Uh, I remember one time I was, my dad is like the smartest person I know. And so I asked him like what he thought about God and belief. And he told me that God was like Santa Claus for adults. And that always stuck with me. Um, and so I grew up in that. Uh, I received the sacraments because I went to a Catholic school. That's what everybody did. So I did it too and um, went to college and really decided for myself that there was no God and that people who thought there was a God were either lying about believing because they thought it was the right thing to do or they were really unintelligent. Um, And I lived that for a little while. I didn't call myself an atheist. That That sounded so like doesn't sound pretty, I guess. I was like, I didn't say that, but I didn't believe. Right. Um, and then I met my husband. 
who grew up cradle Catholic, who's, who did grow up going to church, whose mom taught CCD. And um, he had kind of he he had kind of fallen away a little bit, like I think the typical cradle Catholic story, where he went to church sometimes, didn't, but always never lost belief. So we got married, we had two kids, and um, he started putting a bug in my ear that he really it was important to him that his family went to church, and I would push back at him all the time, like, look, I mean, I don't feel God at church. I I, didn't, I never felt quite brave enough to tell him the truth, that I didn't, I doubted there was a God in the first place. Um, I made all of these excuses and he kept pushing. My husband's a real um, go with the flow type of guy, but this was something that was important to him and he kept pushing. And so eventually um, he said, look, I have an idea. How about every Sunday we'll go to mass and then after mass, I'll take you out to lunch. I was like, oh, I was like, lunch, lunch Lunch sounds wonderful. If I have to sit in this church, that's fine. Okay. I'll go to lunch. So where was the first place that uh, he promised to take you after? I don't remember. Okay. I don't remember, but we went to lunch a lot. We went to lunch. We went to lunch for a few months. Church was before lunch, but we went to lunch for a few months. And I remember one day we were walking out of church. Now, mind you, all of this time I'd been going to church, I um, I didn't have any desire that I was aware of to like grow spiritually. I didn't have any questions. I, I was just literally sitting there for that hour to go to lunch. Um, and one day we were walking out of church and I was, my oldest daughter was two and our son was a baby and I had that car seat like in the crook of my hand mm-hmm. and I'm sweating trying to get everybody to the parking lot without dying in the parking lot. Um, and both of the kids were crying. And I remember while I was walking to the car thinking, man, this is a n- situation in where I would normally feel super stressed and like super frazzled. And I don't, I feel like really peaceful. And so I got my kids into the car and buckled myself uh, in the front seat. And I looked at my husband and I said, hey, listen to how weird this is. I was like, I didn't feel stress at all when the kids were freaking out in the car, like in the parking lot. And you know what else? Like the other day I was at Walmart and um, normally when I'm in Walmart, I um, I never realized, but I, I realized recently how many negative and judgmental thoughts I have about other people. It was almost like before I would have these thoughts, but I wasn't aware of them. It was just like part of me. And all of a sudden now I'm wondering why I'm so judgmental of other people since I'm so jacked up. So these two things that now I would say I was becoming aware of my sinful nature (laughs) and I was feeling a lot of peace happened with me doing nothing but sitting in a pew for an hour, right? And so I told my husband that and I... He's like, hey, man, that is weird. Maybe it's from, I don't know, maybe it's from going to church. And I was like, oh, <laughs> perhaps, I don't know. And so um, that kind of led, to, led me to investigate. Like I wasn't about to like, you know, pray, but like let me read some books and like investigate if there's logic here, if there's, um, if, ask some questions. And so I read the catechism and I read a lot of Scott Hahn so I, I saw that in, in one of your posts. Did you read the entire I read catechism the, from cover to cover? I did. I read wow. the entire, That's well, the Balt, not the, not the big one. Don't think I'm Oh, I thought it was the, the big one. I was like, I've looked in it. The Baltimore Catechism, which is like a, a, the Baltimore. Uh-huh. 
So it's written in like a question and answer format. So like number one is like literally who is God? And then like it answers that for you. What are angels? And answers that for you. Like, so that's what I needed at the time. And I kept waiting to read something that I thought was um, incompatible with logic, incompatible with like critical thought. And I didn't. And that's what made me, once my brain was on board, that's what brought my... I was like, I guess I'll try to pray. I guess I'll not. And eventually I got to the point where I was praying like, hey, God, I don't believe in you, but like, can you help me believe in me? And I prayed, I mean, help me believe in you. And I prayed that long enough to where eventually I did. Like I, just wow. one day I realized it didn't happen like a, a snap or anything, but I realized one day in looking back, like, wait, this huge thing has happened. And the rest is history. Um you know, just talking about that, uh, with that being your prayer, brought up um, a movie that I saw recently. Uh, have you seen The Case for Christ? Um, it was written by a journalist. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Yes. So really good. interesting because it, the journalist's wife prayed a similar prayer yeah. like that. So it, that's just what it reminded me of. Um, yeah. It's pretty neat. Craig, have you seen that movie? I have not. But she mentioned Scott Hahn. He yeah. had a book, I think it's Home Sweet Rome. Rome Sweet Rome Home. Sweet Home. Mm-hmm. What a cool book. And it talked about his conversion story and struggles and his questions, right? Yep. He talked about the questions and, and, you know, trying to find the answers to those. And, you know, it's like giving yourself permission to at least try to get the answers, open so many doors. Yeah, that was one of the books actually that I read, one of the first ones. I read a few. I read one by Jen Fulweiler. Um, uh, something other than God. I think the name of that for her conversion story from atheism. I read a lot of Scott Hahn, a lot of books, um, and started praying and going to mass and, um, participating more than just sitting there. And, um, it changed our whole family really like it changed everything. So did you feel over time, obviously you, you grew into the prayer, you grew into the, what would you call that the Holy Spirit, your conscience guiding you to want to learn more, to want to investigate, to yeah. read the books, etc. Yeah, I talk about that a lot because like, because now looking back, I can see that the Holy Spirit was really working in my life, but I was in such a place then that if someone would have said the Holy Spirit is where I'd have been like, okay, throw up. Like that's so uncomfortable to me. So like, it's so funny how things change because looking back and I can see that I I really truly believe that the Eucharist was like medicine for me in that time. Like I, I like to be honest about the fact that I received when I probably, when I, not probably, I received the Eucharist when I shouldn't have, but I know that our God is not bound by our rules and I believe that the grace seeped through anyway and that it was really medicine for me in that time. Um, and any of these things, if any of, any of these things would have been said to six, Diana of six years ago, I would have been like so uncomfortable. Like mm-hmm. people even, I mean, people would even tell me they were praying for me and it pissed me off, truly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's, which I think that's a little bit of like, that has to be, the fact that someone says I'm praying for you and it makes you upset, that has to be a little bit of the evil one there. That's not a normal response, right? If you don't believe in this thing, then why does it matter either way? Right. So as things have gone on in your journey, and we were visiting a little uh, a couple days ago pre to the cast here, you mentioned that um, something as simple as watching, washing the dishes, you'll have certain thoughts roll through your head. I thought that was also pretty neat because I do think the faith journey does sometimes have some ups and downs or your faith can be tested, things like that. 
What, what, uh, you want to elaborate on some of those experiences that you've had? Yeah. So I think because I had such a, um, explosion of a conversion experience when I did, I fell in love with God hard, like hard. Okay. And the thing about that sort of fervor is that it's not sustainable. So whenever I came down from that mountain of God love and I joined the rest of the mortals in the Catholic church, um, I realized that um, a lot of the things I was struggling with, a lot of the questions I had, a lot of the doubts, a lot of the the glasses small ideas that I had um, didn't really, I didn't see that expressed out in the world. And um, so I got really, it was important to me to say, like I've, I've shared with you guys a little bit before, it's important to, for me to share the hard parts of life. I think that's important. And so I started doing that. And now that things have settled a little bit, I have accepted and I feel completely okay with the fact that the truth for me will always be that sometimes I'll be like elbow deep in a sink full of dishes and the thought, what if this is all a sham hits me out of nowhere. And God and I just have an agreement that we just keep working anyway. Like mm-hmm. that's just, and I feel, I feel so, I feel really um, passionate about sharing that because I think the valley that separates an, 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 a non-believer, an atheist um, from someone who says they never struggle with faith and who has all of the things figured out and they wear a crucifix and they say, God's got it. And they just praise the Lord all the time. The valley between that person and an atheist, or it's wide and it's almost uncrossable. But um, the valley that separates someone who is honest about the struggles that they have in faith, the fact that I'll always probably have a little atheist that lives in me, but it doesn't keep me from showing up. I think that valley is a little bit smaller. And I feel like, I hope that people who don't believe in God or who struggle um, don't feel like they're doing it wrong because... I've shared that I go through all that too. And it it doesn't mean that you just set the thing aside and don't look at the thing at all. Yeah. I think that's pretty incredible that you are very open about this. Um, you, so I have a couple questions, I guess, in regards to that. What, um, made you want to bring some of these things to light? Did that, was that a light bulb? Have you always been a share? I know you say you're an extrovert, enjoy speaking, et cetera. Is this something you feel more of a calling to do in your life? Yeah, I th- I've always been an, I mean, I've always been an extrovert. I am an oversharer. Um, and I've always been a writer. Like, I went to school for journalism. So I think that what happened was whenever I saw, okay, I'm a big believer. This is the thing. I'm a big believer that, like, when you walk into a room, I don't know if you guys experience this. A lot of guys, I, I feel like, don't. But I know a lot of women do. When you walk into a room as a woman sometimes, you walk in and you take everyone's temperature and like worry, like, what are they thinking about me? Let me try to, whatever. You're all, you're very worried on yourself and how you're being perceived. And there's a lot of, um, self-consciousness that comes with that. Right. What I learned is that if you walk into the room and flip that on its head and say, let me walk into this room and make sure that everyone else feels comfortable and that I'm meeting everyone else and helping them to feel good about themselves that removes the stress from you. So I wanted to do that on social media and out more publicly. I wanted to walk into the social media room and say, hey, how are you guys? This is how I'm feeling. Does anybody relate to that? Hoping that other people could relate and that they would find, it would inspire them to dig deeper and to be more um, 
to be more active in their faith. And that's, that's what happened. What happened was that a lot of people, um, that God did a lot of work through my measly little words. And a lot of people reached out to me and said, Hey, I grew up Catholic, but I'm not really practicing or I did this, but I'm, I want to be better. What do I do? How did you do these things? And so that was really wonderful. I actually had a thought, you know, we talk about growing up Catholic or growing up Christian and that's the family we're in. But a lot of that is the direct experience that maybe our parents present for us. And so your parents are loving and they're Christian and Catholic, but maybe the exposure to God or the depth of that relationship is different in different families. Um, looking at maybe how your spiritual life was as a kid and sort of those um, experiences you had and where, where it put you as, a, as an individual with your belief in God, when you reflect on that and then look at yourself as a mother with five children and like this is that time where you're that experience for them, mm. how has that been like sharing that mm. faith with them and watching what it does to their life and who it makes them, who, who, who they'll become as an adult based on what you're yeah. doing for them? Yeah, um, I think it's a natural like parental experience to when we lay our heads on our pillows at night to worry about what the ways are that we're ruining our kids, right? But one area where I really feel confident that my husband and I are doing such good um, and one thing that I was thinking about whenever you were talking just now is that every night before it's bedtime, so like between eight and nine, right, we all gather together and we say family prayer and then everyone goes to their room and we kiss everyone goodnight and we tuck everybody in. And that's one thing that I hope, like when they grow up, they'll say, you know, we said prayer every night as a family. That's something that I hear a lot of my friends say, like, we did this as a family, we did that. I didn't experience that. My, my parents were good parents, but I never experienced that. And I, I think that's something that when they grow up, I hope that that's doing the work. It feels like it's doing for me, you know? Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah, I want to concur. I think that's pretty neat. The, the idea of praying together with people, with your family too, at its most, um, I guess, highest peak has to be a pretty special uh, yeah. moment for everyone. So Diana, once you went through your conversion and you started participating in mass and doing <clears throat> doing things because you wanted to do them rather than uh, the reward of the lunch uh, mm -hmm. that came after, <laughs> uh, how did you feel? Did you have everything together? Um, how what was that process like? Yeah. So um, immediately thereafter, I was in a place where like I really wanted to learn a lot. So I was I was almost like hungry for people to tell me like you're doing something wrong. I mean, I had to go through like a lot of like, okay, I, my dad was an OBGYN. So when I was 15, I was put on birth control for whatever reasons. And so, um, I had to like go through a lot of changes, not just spiritual changes, but like we had to be open to life in a way that we weren't before. And, um, it was a lot, it was a learning process and a big shift. Um, but what I learned through that is that I feel like I'm like, I have an advantage. I have an advantage that a lot of other believers don't have in that. I'm really willing to say that maybe I don't know it all. And I'm really okay with the fact that like, I have a lot to learn and maybe my, maybe this belief or this idea is wrong and needs to be tweaked. Um, that's one thing that I think maybe those of you who like grow up Catholic and like have 11 brothers and sisters like um <laughs> you may be who are you like, talking about? <laughs> like maybe it's not as um accessible for and i'm just assuming but maybe it's not as accessible for people like that who grew up 
in that to say, hey, uh, maybe I'm wrong. I think there's like a lot of beauty in like recognizing that maybe we don't know everything. Oh, we certainly don't know everything. Yeah. Well, we say that, right? We say like, I don't know everything, but then like we live like we actually do. Like I do. I'm like, I don't know everything. But then like I'm on Facebook. I'm like, let me tell you how I know everything. You know, I yeah. walk around just asking questions all the time. Yeah. I get help a lot. That's good. <laughs> That's true. He doesn't want everyone to do everything for him. That's the false. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> now, there was another interesting story uh, that I'd like to bring up if, if you'd like to talk about it. It was uh, one of the days that you were in Mass, and the priest said, um, how can you do anything but believe when you look back at your life and at all the ways he has shown up for you and, and carried you through? Yeah, I wrote that a long time ago, so I forgot what I said after it. <laughs> but I bet what I said after that was like, I still don't, Right. So uh, let, me read, let me read you my words. <laughs> I wrote, um, today in Mass, the priest said, how can you do anything but believe when you look back at your life and all the ways he has shown up for you and carried you through? And I wanted to stand up and say, I, in my weakness, still manage to have moments of doubt, even with all of the amazing things God has done for me. Even though he has shown himself to me over and over, I still forget. I cannot be alone in this, right? Right? Yes, no, I did not stand up and say that in the middle of his homily because I don't think this sweet little old ladies would have approved. <laughs> but that's how I feel. It's truly how I feel. And so I think that's why I'm so vocal about these things because I wonder, like, I'm sure everyone in that mass was, like, nodding their head, like, how can you do anything? And everybody's like, yes, right, how can you? And I'm like, well, raising my hand, like, I, that's me. That's me. Yeah, and I think the other interesting part was that to that was the next part of it was whenever you opened your mag Magnificat and you felt like you had an answer to that. Right. So I opened up my Magnificat and um, you'll never believe what I found. Sitting there, looking at me, <laughs> waiting for me, was the passage pictured below. I got goosebumps when I read, quote, for some people, the intensity of their belief in God is matched by an inclination to ask questions of God. The correlation is not a sign of disrespect or doubt. I'm such a good writer. Oh hey my man, gosh. Hey <laughs> Bringing myself to church. I'm more impressed with the fact that John has... Uh, done research. Done, not just research. What? He's going to the depths over there. Yeah, he went a few years ago and, and it's and paper look, clipped. Can, can I see that, John, for a moment? <laughs> Bring your own notes. Something, uh, something well, let me see that real quick. Page. Yeah, I wanted to... I noticed something. Um, Craig. Can yeah. you read me the name at the top of that email, please? <laughs> See here. Um, objection. Legal <laughs> objection. Legal counsel. Is what is the name of the, the first that line of the she? entire top? Where it says from? Yeah. From John Carraway. Okay. I just wanted to make sure he refers to himself to the listeners as John. Um, <laughs> John Carraway. Not just telemarketers. He's emailing people as John. That is awesome. You know, we talk a lot about, um, you know, being open to different opportunities. And this was a situation where you were obviously struggling with something. Um, and you, it sounds like you got an immediate answer to what you were struggling with that particular day. And I think it's just, you know, a good thing to do if you can be open to those opportunities um, and be listening, be vigilant to be able to receive them when they're given to you like that. Yeah. I want to say, I'm, I might be mistaken, and you can tell me, but I want to say that shortly after, since you just read my work, um, <laughs> I want to say that that was whenever the gospel reading was um, the dude under the tree. 
You know what I'm talking about? The oh, dude yeah. under the tree. And Jesus is like... Talking about Nineveh? Yes. Wasn't that it? Was it? No, not Nineveh. Is, that, is it Nineveh? Under the tree? We should know this as Catholics. Who was under the tree? There was a dude under the tree. And then he said, Jesus said something, something, something. And then the dude was like, how did you know that? And he's like, I saw you. Remember what I'm talking about? Nope, not one person. No, I didn't know what you're talking is about. Is it I Nineveh? I don't know. Yeah, I was thinking about the, a different passage. Oh, well, anyway, I think that's what it, that's the gospel reading that was that day. And it was like so beautiful, right? Like that's why the priest homily was that because, oh, you found it. Look at you. You're, you're so prepared. <laughs> oh no, this is a different one, but this one is good as well. Um, yeah. So I just think it's interesting. Like another reason why I think it's important to say the truth of the things that are going on, how small the glass is, is because God knows that we're thinking the ga- the glass is small. So whenever we're, whenever we bring those things to light, it's not like we're surprising him or anyone, right? Yeah, I can. I you agree. concur. I'm enjoying the glass talk. Um, <laughs> well, also going the other way. Going back to filling up the glass. Yeah. You made a comment about you know how we don't always really have the answers or know what we're talking about, but we sometimes spill it like we do. And then you mentioned the word community, and I think of like, you know, we're in our own format here of sharing. It's almost like at times you may not have the answers, but, you know, somebody, we all know something, and you're going to say something that's going to complete what I'm trying to do. And so you, you can feel empty, feeling like I just don't have the answers or all the words, but we have the community of each other kind of giving, filling that glass up and, and filling in the blanks. I and so whenever you say what you say on social media, it's touching someone and giving them what they need at that moment. It's that godsidence for them, perhaps when they're having a bad day and you talk about, you know, something that's going to inspire them. Yeah, I think it's a perfect example here. The glass half full and the glass half empty. <laughs> right. It's like one glass. That's what Same thing. We're all looking. Right. Yeah. True. I mean, this is it's kind of it's a deep. groundbreaking here. It's a deep here. Um, look, before we hop into our... our um, segment that we want to ask you who you think is driving your car in life i want to ask you what advice would you give for people out there who may have been in a similar situation that you were in i I get a lot of vibe at least you were again you were open to the fact by going to lunch but then you were open to learning you were opening your heart to listening what advice would you give to the listeners who might be in a similar situation that you were in yeah um I'm going to flip that because I feel like the people that were in the situation that I was in don't need advice, but you know who does the people that love those people. So a lot of the questions I get aren't from people who don't believe because uh, God has to do that work and they don't reach out to me normally unless they're already on the path. The questions I get a lot from people are my son, my husband, my child, my lover, my whatever doesn't believe. How do I help them to believe? How do I, um, what do I do? And I give pretty, um, this is my advice that I tell those people. Here's what I think you should do. And you can take this or you can leave it. I think you should sit this person down. Um, before you, before you sit them down, I think you should prepare yourself and you should have like a 10 minute spiel that you want them to sit and listen to them. Like you want them to sit down and listen to you, give this spiel, this case for Christ. Right. Um, I think you should go to that person and say, Hey, look, I love you. I want you to listen to me for 10 minutes. I'm gonna, for 10 minutes, I'm gonna talk to you and all you have to do is listen and then I'm never gonna bring it up again. And then you never bring it up again. You just live in a way that exemplifies what you talked about in that 10 minute speech. I really believe that because 
there were people who um, I'm sure my grandmother was a very devout woman and she passed away before I had my conversion. Um, and she tried in the gentlest, most loving way that only grandmothers can, right? They send you rosaries, they send you prayer cards in Spanish from Puerto Rico. <laughs> um, That's awesome. But none, and I, I'm sure that chipped away in, in ways, but none of that did the work like God did the work at the end, you know? I think that's pretty neat that you were talking about have the chat and then live, you know, your actions, your word. And I stumbled upon this interesting quote the other day, and it's um, how you do anything mm -hmm. is how you do everything. Yeah, it's I've heard pretty, that a lot lately huh? for some reason. I've heard that a lot lately for, yeah. some, for some reason. I don't even know who came up with it. I heard it on another podcast, and I was like, I actually talked to Craig about this quote. <laughs> and I was like, man, I'm trying to figure out this quote. Like, what but, does this mean? Yeah, it's, 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 it sounds so, so simple, but it's a pretty deep quote because in my head I'm like, well, some things I don't do perfectly, but I do everything. But then, like, if you really grapple yeah. with it, but then at the same time it is, I think I've come to the place of all those things you do, all your actions becomes what everything is. So every, mm. anything you're doing becomes the everything. Mm. Yeah, I love what you said earlier about when you walk into a room, it's not, and that's the natural instinct because you get that internal self-consciousness like, eh, you know, how am I being perceived? But if you go into it, like, how can I serve this room yeah. and make them feel at ease? That's so cool. I yeah. Mean, that's sort of living it, right? Mm -hmm. That's being, that, yeah. you know. That's like how, um, that's, that's what I try to keep in mind all the time. Like, what can I do? to serve the people who are listening to me. Like not how can I get more people to listen to me, not how can I make money with these people listening to me. How can the people that are already showing up, how can I serve them well and point them to Christ? That's awesome. Okay, Diana, we're gonna rock our way into our question with it that we ask all the guests. Mm -hmm. And that is, who do you think is driving your car? Okay, so I hope I'm not supposed to say a person because I'm not going to. I think right now which what is driving my car is the desire to know Jesus Christ, the actual Jesus Christ, not the American Jesus Christ, not the Catholic Jesus Christ, not the white Jesus Christ, like who he actually was. That's what's driving me right now because the truth for me is that I care more what people who I don't even know or like think about me more so than I care about what God thinks of me, unfortunately. So I'm trying to set aside all of those trying to be part of this group, trying to fit in, trying to um, belong, trying to whatever. And I'm trying to figure out who Christ actually is and um, be a better representation of that. So desire to know Christ is driving my car. That's awesome. <laughs> that's really good. That's a good answer. Yeah, I think Great that answer. that's uh, that's something I would personally toggle along with trying to figure out what I always struggle with, like what is the Lord's will for my life? Yeah. Um, another big one there. Look, tell the listeners a little bit about what you do. Um, you've obviously written some things. You have a blog. Tell them where they can maybe learn a little more about you and, and things like that. You have a book published? I do a self-published uh, workbook. It's called The Seven Day Faith Challenge for Catholic Women. It's my answer to, um, hey, I wanna do this whole thing a little bit better. What do I do? That book was my answer to people. Um, my favorite place to hang out with people is Instagram. Um, I'm at Diana Divulges on Instagram, or you can go to read longer um, blog posts uh, at dianadivulges.com. Where Johnny Boy is visited. Yeah, yeah. printed out in very large type. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, this facial expression for a crisis. Yeah, it actually is nice. I have all different sizes. <laughs> you never know. If, if you took it from me, had to read it upside down, <laughs> I could still make it happen. Well, look, uh, Diana, we appreciate you coming along for the ride today. And um, all the listeners out there, if you have an inspiring, motivating story of your own in your faith journey, we would uh, implore you to um, tell us about it. And until next time, we'll catch you later. Aye. Hey, y'all. If you've been enjoying picking up what we've been laying down, subscribe and never miss an episode. Find us on social media and let us know who's driving your car this week. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Who's Driving Your Car Podcast. Perfect timing, sun is shining, nothing more I need. Yeah. If you feel like this your best life, won't you sing with